to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. As we go into our time of the, the Word, moving from our songs to Him, um, we're going to see at the end of this, uh, throughout this whole story, we, we've been tracking with um, Stephen's letter uh, to these um, People and he, he's now quoting Stephen, who's talking with these um, leaders, these Jewish leaders, and they they thought they had captured heaven. They thought they had heaven in their hands. They thought that they were the ones at the top of the list towards heaven. And so we sing that song, "Give us clean hands and a pure heart." And so that goes back to what Stephen's trying to get these leaders to see, trying to get these very religious um, uh, people to see. And so that's Psalm twenty-four. He says, whom shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? So think through that. We, we all think that that's us, right? We all think that that's us, and, and we don't want to cause people to doubt salvation, but we always want to be pushing people to think through every day, where am I at with the Lord? Where am I at with Christ? Um, this, this group of religious leaders, they're the only ones, the Israelites, the only ones who had God's law. The commandments, um, the covenant, the only one, every other nation. And let me tell you, you don't want to go and, and do historical studies on all the other nations and peoples and language groups in the Old Testament who didn't have God. It, it's not Bible Belt America. It's not they were close to God. They were living in all their desperate sin and idolatry and serving false gods. You don't want to know the percentages of people that did not know God through the Old Testament. Like It's a scary thing. But who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who would stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So when it says that, who, who would enter that type of heaven? Who would be there? Is it those who do good? Is it those who earn their way? Is it those who earn merit by being good enough and their hands are clean? No, it's those who have been made clean by Christ, whose sins are forgiven. And so that's the first part. But the second part, you also need righteousness to be on that holy place. And, and you can't provide righteousness. So he provides the, the, the forgiveness of sins Zero debt, and now he says, you get my billions and trillions of righteousness accredited to your account. So it's not just forgiveness of sins, but it's also you need righteousness and holiness to stand in front of holiness. And so beautiful picture there that we just sang. Um, and then it says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. So I'm going to pray as we get into this, and then you can be seated in a second. Father, we do come just thanking you for your word, thanking you that um, it would not be upon our own merit. It would not be upon our own effort, our own morals, our own lists of righteousness. Thank you because we would fail even at our own short list. We would fail and fail and fail. Thank you that it is just grace. It is only grace. It's in grace alone that we could not have earned. 
And then it's by faith we put our trust in, in that, the cross of Christ, his life and death and resurrection, his ascension, and we know he's coming back soon. We put our faith in that, and we rest in that. And so we thank you um, that we would be able to put our rest in you and not ourselves in this. We're going to see Stephen, Lord, um, challenging these religious people who knew your law, who knew your, your commands, who knew your statutes, and, and who had the covenant when every other nation didn't. And yet they were face-to-face with it and completely missed Jesus. And so we pray that we would not be a people like that. We wouldn't be a generation of people who have comfortable churches and, and wonderful, um, comfortable settings and, and, and great lives outside of the church, but yet trying to live on our own morals and our own standards and missing Jesus. And so would you help us uh, to embrace you as our only hope for salvation, what these leaders needed from Stephen, and help us not to reject you and not to serve false idols. Um, we thank you that you are worthy and that you are satisfactory to us, to our souls at the greatest level. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. So thank you for coming on Mother's Day. Um, I, I know it's a pretty big deal. Uh, I noticed Coach and me, I mean, like we, we're wearing slacks today. That, that's a pretty big deal. Like this is like funerals, weddings, and, and like Mother's Day maybe is the only time. And so uh, um, that's a pretty big deal. So we're glad you're joined here. Uh, it's not going to be a, a sermon about you know the three magnificent things about Magnificent Mary. That's not what we're going to do, but we're going to continue in Acts. But we do want to take time just to say um, we are thankful for mothers, thankful for God's gift of mothers. Um, if you've lost a mother, you, you, you really, really, really uh, um, can, can feel the value of mothers. And sometimes there's mothers who have, uh, or there's some of us who have had mothers that maybe went through some rough times in life. You weren't there when she was growing up. And so maybe she wasn't a 10 on the mom scale. Maybe she wasn't a seven she wasn't a five. Maybe um, some of you were even abused by mothers. People listening. There could be people listening that have been in a situation where they were abused by mothers um, physically, verbally, emotionally. And so you could even pause and go, hey, you know what? Because of you, Jesus, I love my mother. Because of you, Jesus, it, it's forgiven. I love her. And so um, we want to, this morning, just to acknowledge a beautiful time. And so it's great to have um, uh, uh, Jamie's mom and Aunt Connie here with us. And so uh, for some of you guys that are um, coming and uh, just take some time just to uh, really appreciate your mother. Uh, I had one guy say that um, even a stepmom, just, just, just writing a, a letter to a stepmom, that, man, I wanted to let her know she's valued and stuff like that. And so uh, take time to really um, thank God and thank the mothers around your life. And so um, we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 7, finishing up that chapter 7. Remember, 6, 7, and 8 kind of run together. Um, and so as far as we look at the, um, this, this story, the, the spoiler alert is that it actually ends with Stephen being martyred. And so you, most of you know the story where Stephen's stoned at the end of this. Uh, not the stoned CBD on every corner, but the stoned um, that uh, he's really rocks thrown and bashing your head in with that. And that is just shocking uh, when you get to this point as you've been tracking through the story of what God's been doing, the miracles, the signs, all kinds of thousands of people coming to faith. And in chapter 2, you see the beautiful um, situation of um, these, these gifts of tongue, this, this language that is in all these other languages where people are hearing the gospel in their own language. That, that's just absurd. That's crazy. These, these Galileans shouldn't be able to do this. The signs and miracles that were going on, all the beautiful things that God's doing, and then as the church is blossoming, one of the main guys gets killed. And so you'd think, 
why would God let that happen? And so we're going to look at that at the end. Why would God let Stephen die here when he could have just easily protected? And so that's a, that's a difficult thing for us to think through. And so um, as we have looked at that, the reason Stephen is, I want to go into some context here. The reason Stephen is killed at the end of this, if you remember the context, he was just a deacon. We saw them, uh, they elected seven guys as deacons. And so if we go back to Acts chapter 6, I want to throw this up here. If you remember the accusations. Um, so in 11 through 14, they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Um, and they stirred up the whole people and the elders and the scribes. So think of that. All these people, and then the elders and the scribes, the kind of the, the, the big boys in the room, the, the powerful elites, they all came together, and they came upon him and seized him. So that was a, a very ferocious way of seizing him, and brought him before the council. So now he's seated in front of all these people, and they set up false witnesses. Now they bring in people who say, this man never ceases to speak words against the Holy Spirit and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered. So I put up there those three accusations, blasphemous words against Moses and God, very serious to them, um, and then speaking against the holy place, the temple, and then also speaking against the law of Moses. Now, we, we looked at last week that those are legitimate concerns. Like if, if, if a guy comes in and starts saying, do not, you do not have to go by any of God's laws. Don't worry about Moses' law. And remember, this is Judaism. So that was serious for them. So we look at it and we read like, oh, they're the bad guys. Well, they were standing for monotheism. They were trying to protect the holy God of Israel, the temple. That What was the temple? It wasn't the building. They were. They had been proud of the temple before. The temple was nothing like it was with Solomon and David, but well, with Solomon. But the temple signified what for them for thousands of years? God's presence. And so um, we're even going to see here, Stephen brings up purposely on this. He's, he goes from Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. You guys love holiness, right? And then he goes right into the temple too. And so he's showing here that I'm not actually bashing the temple. I'm not against the holiness of God. I'm not against those things. So those are the accusations that he brings out. And that's the context. He is addressing, we've been tracking with him through this long section. And so he had done that earlier with um, those other people that he had went from Abraham and then to Joseph and the patriarchs. And now he's talking about Moses. And so um, last week we saw, I brought out that transitioning or was some big transitions are happening in the book of Acts. Um, so Jesus come in Acts 1-8, the theme of the book, um, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you are going to be my witnesses. Your whole life is going to be about me. And that's going to happen in Jerusalem, most dangerous place to do that. Like, I'd want to go next door, leave the county, go to another place, you know, and hey, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Jesus out there. But Jesus just got killed a few days ago. So I, I don't want to be in Jerusalem doing that, but you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Sure enough, somebody gets killed just because of this, just like your concern, like uh, getting a feeling that I was right. This is a bad place to do this. Anyone else want to leave? And there would be a lot of people who would bail. And so um, a transition from apostles of the church, um, those are, are remaining 11 disciples, to the church, 
And so Stephen, so you're seeing the authority and the power is not just the apostles now, it's transitioning to the congregation, the body of Christ, which becomes an important theme in the New Testament, right? It's not just the apostles or the stars now. It's Paul talking to the pastors and leaders. It's Paul talking to the, the, the congregations. It's the different writers of the different books talking to the congregations. So ministry is to uh, all the believers, to the, the, the priesthood of the saints. And so there's another transition from Judaism, the practices of Judaism, to now standing on this this crazy blind faith. You don't have to go to the temple and get an animal from your flock and and, and go through the time to clean it up and to bring it up and to do all this work. You don't have to do the, the dietary laws anymore. You don't have to do the societal laws anymore. Drop all that. Just stop it and come over here. And be thankful for Jesus who died on the cross. No temple. Don't have to do that anymore. You are the temple. Sounds a little blasphemous, doesn't it? The important building, holiness of God. Now that's you. The Holy Spirit's indwelling you. That's a huge shift. All the practices that you'd grown up all the days of your life. And very fearfully, right? And now don't do those. You don't have to do those anymore. Jesus fulfilled all of those. Anyone else still to our day have questions on, hey, why do we not have to still do some of those Old Testament rites? Why do we not have to worry about this? Uh, uh, All kinds of things, right? And so um, the idea there is you don't have to do those. Jesus fulfilled them. And he didn't say those are trash now. He just said, you don't have to go by those, but I'm the sacrifice. Put your faith in my one-time death. Stop as a Jew going and giving sacrifices. Stop doing that. that. That's crazy. And that's a transition that's happening there. Christian theology was happening. They're, they're establishing the doctrines of Christ here. Also a transition of the witnesses being in Jerusalem to now Stephen gets martyred, and they scatter like roaches. They, I mean, it says, and we're going to see in chapter 8, uh, chapter eight says that at that time, there became a huge persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And so they all fled, and as they fled and went to different areas, guess what happened? The gospel went with them, and the word of God was preached in those areas. What did Jesus say in Acts 1-8? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, Samaria. Shh. I'm not going to tell you how it's going to start getting into Judea and Samaria. You don't want to know the side note. Same thing with our life, right? Like, God's going to bless us. Hey, Stephen, at the end of the story, greatest blessed one, right? I mean, well, I mean, you know, the first few seconds, painful. After that, greatest thing, like, I'm glad I left all that behind, right? And so you, you're going to see that with this, this martyr of Stephen even. Like, he gets the reward of what? No more sin. No more pain, no more suffering, no more idiots around me. I get Jesus now. And, and he didn't tell him exactly how that's going to happen. So all these transitions are going on, being used by God to lead the gospel in the kingdom beyond Jerusalem. So let's look, and instead of reading the whole section this week, it's a long section, so we're going to take little sections. We're not going to spend as much time on Moses' life, which he spends a lot of time tracking through. Uh, let me tell you, the reason he's bringing up Moses' life because he was a hero of their faith like David. And so we remember he's already, we've already went through the passages where it started with Abraham, founder of their faith, right? Uh, they are the, the offspring of Abraham. And the Jews thought they were the only ones. And so now we've also had this transition to where Gentiles are grafted in. And so he's bringing up these charges because these are, he, he's building a bridge with the audience going, you treasure Abraham, you treasure um, um, Isaac, Jacob, you treasure 
the, the, the people of Israel. You treasure David, Solomon. You treasure Moses in this. All these things. And then he's bringing out the whole time, not only am I not um, accused of these things legally and rightfully so, um, you guys are actually the ones who have betrayed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You've rejected God. What David was living for, what Solomon's temple was about, you were the ones. It's not me. He, so he's defeating those ideas of that. And so he's building all this. Um, so if you've ever tried to th- think about persuasion, um, one of the things that you want to do is accommodate. And so instead of standing over across the line and, and throwing stones at them, accommodating them, trying to understand their perspective from it, and then kind of walking with them. So accommodating to be able to have a conversation instead of, you're an idiot, you're stupid, I'll never listen to you, you're wrong on everything, I'm the only one who's right. That doesn't work real good, right? But accommodating someone to listen to their point of view, and they've had to listen. And now to say, hey, I'm throwing these things out, would you consider these things? And it was eternal matter with them. And so we're going to read a little section, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so let's look at verses 7, 17 through 22. So start in verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. So we're transitioning in stories from Joseph's time to Exodus chapter 1. So remember Exodus chapter 1. What happens to Exodus 1? Uh, the people multiplied so greatly that what did the new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph say? What did he say? Hey, the, these Israelites, these Hebrews, they're all over the place. They're multiplying so fast. If they wanted to, they could join our enemies and come against us and beat us. So what, what, what's his plan? Infanticide. He says, let's kill off all the babies. Hey, some of you Hebrew women, they're midwives. The story goes that, hey, you midwives, and this is biblical, that you are going to kill off little baby boys. As they're born, you're going to kill those babies. Those women said, we're not going to do that. And so as babies are born, they're still helping the boys and girls be born. Pharaoh sees, hey, there's a lot of little boys running around here. I thought I told you guys to do this. And what did they, they lied to him. And they said, uh, man, those Jewish women, those Israelite women, they are strong. They have babies early and they also have, they have babies by themselves. They just, you know, they just go through labor by themselves. Don't even call us. So Man, they're just having little baby boys without us being there. So that's the story. He was trying to kill off infanticide. Remember, same thing happens when Jesus uh, uh, was born. Same situation. So there's this new Pharaoh. Um, at the time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deed. And so if you remember the story, um, he's for two or three months, he's with his mom. Then they, they know where Pharaoh's daughter goes to get water every day, and they put him out in the, the Nile in this basket, and they, they, they made this little basket with uh, all this stuff that would keep water out, and they put him in, and they step back and watch, and sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby, takes him, and then um, the, the, the sister steps over there and says, hey, um, I, I know the the mother that can help take care of this little baby. And so she's able to um, nurse the baby, uh, baby Moses, but he also is now part of Pharaoh's household. So remember that? So all these things where God provides miraculous providence. So a beautiful story. Hey, you Jewish leaders, you know the story. Look at God's faithfulness for our father Moses. Look, look what he has done with Moses. You know, and they know the story of what's happening there. So he goes on from his early life, and then he goes on to the, the shocking part. Moses grows up, 
Um, we know the next part in verse 23. When he was 40 years old, big skip there, right? It came into his heart to visit his brothers, the Hebrews, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. So you've got an Egyptian who had had them in slavery, and then you've got a Hebrew, and they're arguing and fighting, and he steps up and Moses kills the Egyptian, right? So you all know the story. And so he's thinking, man, they're going to love me. My people are going to love me, right? This is a good story. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Big statement. Jewish leaders, God raised up a person, and he's bringing salvation by his hand. Remember that? Remember that, Jewish leaders? But they did not understand. Hint, hint. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them saying, men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside saying, who made you a ruler and judge? Do you want to kill me just like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this, Moses, at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. He sees two Hebrews fighting. He steps in, brothers, you shouldn't do this, you're brothers. And one of the guys says, hey, you're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? We saw that yesterday. So word is out. Word, and so Moses does what? He flees. This is a side note. Notice the discipline of the Lord for murder at this point. He makes Moses go away and have children. He goes into child raising for the next 40 years. So that's the, that's the I'm joking. That's not the real deal. So you're showing me like, I didn't notice that before. That is fitting, isn't it? That could be a whole sermon. Um, now, when he was 40, when 40 more years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. So you guys know, the flame of fire in the bush. So the place where God calls him, a very holy moment, right? When Moses saw it, he was amazed at it, the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Now think through this. You just murdered someone, the last situation. You're just going through your regular things, and now this crazy event happens, a miraculous, supernatural thing, a burning bush, and you hear, I, hey, look over here. This is God. Last situation was you just murdered someone. Like, what do you think? You talk about a scary moment. Like, think of your little things where you feel like some words you've said or maybe something you've done. You, you just, you know, been harsh to someone or said some bad words or you've looked at something inappropriate. And, and if you heard a voice from the Lord, it would be pretty traumatizing. So there's probably a lot of humility at that point, right? So um, big moment for them. This is the famous part. Uh, the Lord said in verse 33 there, take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Um, so some powerful things there, some, some famous things that we all know about. Um, um, the, the, the famous parts of this is uh, holy ground, take off your shoes. It's representing God's holiness, God's presence. And then note, look at this next section, um, verse 36. I'm sorry, verse 35. This Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as a ruler and redeemer. Hint, hint, Jewish leaders. God sent another prophet as a redeemer and a ruler, and you rejected him. 
So he's, he's lacing this all the way. And we're going to get to a certain point, and he's going to be like, he's, he's been threading this through the whole time. And then at the end, when he comes through, it's very clear. This Moses, whom they rejected, this man God sent as both ruler and redeemer. And then in verse 36, this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Direct link to Jesus. God, God, God is going to raise up. Moses said, God's going to raise up a prophet like me in the future. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel and that spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our, with our fathers. He received living oracles, so God's word, God's revelation, the Old Testament, Moses' law to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him, what become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. So notice there, they reject God. Moses has been on the mountain. They reject God. They reject God's word that was given to them. And they reject Moses. Again, Stephen's laying this to these crowds going, you think you're right, you think you're holy, you think that you're revering God, and you're missing it completely. This is another story of God sending the one, the Redeemer, and you reject it. Why? Because your hearts are prone to sin. Your hearts thinking you're even doing good things are still turned from God. So to these leaders, God gives himself and the statutes. No, no other tribe, nation, language received God's word, God's revelation, anything. The way of salvation is to Israelites. Think through that. And it wasn't good enough. It wasn't satisfying enough. They rejected God and who he had sent for idols. Same for these leaders that, that, that they're dealing with at this point. So they reject God, made an idol, sacrificed to the idol. They loved and enjoyed the feeling out of it. So think through that. Anyone ever realized that you kind of realize it later on. But every point where you have taken some steps and you realize that something that started small has become a huge idol. You, you, you didn't really realize the steps of it. Um, just like these people, just like repeatedly Israel in the Old Testament, us in the New Testament, um, you marginalize God, him being from center, you marginalize and move him to the center. Now, would you completely throw away the things that you say you believe? Jesus died on the cross. Jesus is God. We're supposed to love him with all our heart. No, no you wouldn't deny those things. You wouldn't wear T-shirts that, you know, I, you know, I'm against Jesus. I'm against God. But we marginalize God and move him from center is the first step. And sometimes we don't realize when it's happened. Because it's not usually like, hey, I want to be a roadie with like Marilyn Manson. And uh, that's a man he's probably been around, like, you know, he's never, never around anymore. That's a bad uh, statement. But whoever, whoever the person, Cardi B or whoever. Um, so um, so um, I am not planning to just leave my family and everything and go off with this famous person and get into drugs and rock and roll or rap or, uh, you know, debauchery, right? I, I, that's not usually the step. It's usually a good gift that God has placed right in front of us, a good gift. So we reject God, marginalize God at some point. 
then we follow a desire in our heart that's birthed of this idol. In pursuit of the idol and desire, it's promising something that will be satisfying for us. It's promising something. Um, And then the next step there is we begin to sacrifice. Now, do we we build a little shrine and a, a little, you know, little tiki torch or a little statue and then bow down and have a rug that we throw out before it? Do, do we bow down to it and like, you know, um, um, that, that would be ridiculous, right? That'd be very, very clear. But man, it feels good when I see this thing and I start desiring it and start thinking through. Man, I spend lots of time and hours strategizing and planning if we rearrange this and rearrange this, rearrange our time with this and stop doing this and stop doing this because then I would have this thing over here. And that could be from extremely illicit, dangerous things that are destroying our life to something that's really seemingly good in our life. And now my passion that was supposed to be poured out towards God. And hey, it's all towards God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And be thankful for this other thing. Be thankful for that other thing. Be thankful and love that thing also, but nothing comparatively to the way you love God, right? That, that, that's the way it's supposed to be. And what do we do? We marginalize God, and this thing's become central. And my planning and time and resources and money, and if we can cut out some other things here, then, then we could have this. Same thing, that, that's sacrificing. What did they do? Marginalized God, made an idol. Again, for us, it's not a little statue. But it's elevated in our heart and mind. And now you start serving and sacrificing to it. Time, money, resources. Because why? Because worship happens when I get my idol. Worship. And so sometimes worship, again, it's not bowing down and, um, I worship this Corvette or you know, whatever vehicles. Uh, um, you know, I remember Jackson, when he was like four, he knew what a Lamborghini was. I don't think I knew what a Lamborghini was till you know, Back to the Future came out with Michael J. Fox. And I was probably like 17 or something. It was like a Lamborghini or whatever that, that car was. Like, and he's like four years old. Like, I think I want a Lamborghini at six. You know, and I'm like, good luck. And so you're getting the Tahoe. And so all these things that we can place up here. So think through. Um, it's not usually an it's not usually an actual handcrafted statue resembling some animal. Uh, so you guys know for me. So for whatever reason, the beach. So I've got a picture. So my buddy uh, Wells, Matt Wells, he he texted me this week this picture, Laguna Beach. Hey man, the wife and I got some time. I'm sitting in our crummy rent house backyard. Facing the, the weeds, the, the, so we've got, you know, we went from a bigger yard to a small yard, so we've got junk sitting all around, and I'm sitting there, it's hot, he p- throws this picture out there. Um, some of you guys, I know some of you guys, it's, it's summertime, a lot of people are going to be taking nice trips. You guys, I, I don't know, there's nothing that shows me clearly biblically that if I happen to participate with voodoo, ball, voodoo dolls, you know, I mean, I know it'll be bad, and God or I'll, Jesus will probably slap my hand or something. But when people send me those pictures, I, I may or may not have little voodoo dolls that I just start practicing with. Of just you know, just you know, uh, something will happen. So I'm, I'm joking. But like when I see those, think through this with me. You guys know I love the beach. It's idiotic the level to, to which I love the beach, because why? God's screaming. I mean, look at that. So look at the picture there. That's beautiful. And some of your, your, your mountains or trees, but here's what God's saying. Hey, Sankey, 
Little hint, it's water. <laughs> it's just water. You're nutso freaking out. Like I go stand, smell it, I go into it, and I think, and guess what? It's going to take all the problems away. It's going to make it, money doesn't matter. Um, stuff and, and family doesn't, if, if you're just, and God's going, Sankey, it's such a lie. It's water. And guess what? I got lots of it. Like maybe heaven has some other uh, substance that we don't even know, like some sort of fluid. It's not, he's like, hey, water was trash. That was like, you know, like level 10 bad stuff. Like in heaven, it's going to be a whole different thing, right? And so we don't know. And hey, the other part, it's just sand. Like literally your, your, your mind gets attracted to dirt. Like I've got dirt and sand and you've chosen water and sand to worship. And so, if, and, and now again, I don't bow down to it, but does it lie to me and tempt me to think, man, if I could just get there, everything falls away. So you guys know of all the things. Well, there was the one time that we went on a trip, and there was nine trips to the urgent care between our group of families. Nine trips. And so when you're sitting in the urgent care, just like it's beautiful breeze outside, and you're in there for four hours, and you're just going, hey, this, this idol did not deliver, right? And so God's probably just up there with popcorn, just kick back laughing, like, let's throw another one down there. A kid sprained ankle or something. So think through those things. What is it for you? Um, we don't plan on rejecting God and marginalizing Him. And then we now have elevated this thing that was a good gift. It's a good, that's a beautiful good gift, right? Um, but then we begin to sacrifice and serve it. These religious leaders had done this with religion and power and spiritual pride. And so we, I'm bringing that out to show us that we do this in any kind of way, and we miss Jesus in that. Um, so, so what is it for you? These are good gifts. So sometimes possessions. It could be that new house, that new vehicle, uh, that new lifestyle. It could be a certain thing. It could be a watch. It could be shoes. It could be, I never think, I'm not really good at thinking on women like what, like on, I don't know where you go, Pinterest or Etsy or where, wherever you go for shopping or, you know, uh, Neiman Marcus or something. I will say this. When I went into the mall before with Jamie, and you enter into those one mall entrances, and it's like the shoes and boots and stuff. Like I, Jamie's not a big shoe person, but oh my gosh, shoes are expensive for women. Like I was walking, I was like, oh, those, like I, I can see her wearing those. And I go look, and like it's a car payment, you know, for her. And you're like, wow, that's a lot, you know. And so, um, and for some people, it, it's relative, right? Like that's not a big deal for them. For us, again, it's like a house payment for a pair of shoes. And so um, for women, I don't know what your struggles are there. It, it could be career and lifestyle. Very, very clearly, um, sometimes people just elevate this. And now I'm spending 60, 70 hours, not just my working hours, but all I'm thinking about is how I can further my career and further my career. Um, it could be relationships. For young people, it, it's always this fear of who's going to be that person, who's going to be that person. And so we begin to think through that. And, and, and as you get become an adult, my friend set, my, my group of the people that I want to be surrounded by, um, it can be relationships. Um, friendships that, that, so think through this, youth and adults. We have to, we've had to think through this several times, Jamie and I. Um, friendships that, that are good, that, that God's placed around you, but you begin to marginalize God and his mission because they've become central. And now you've actually not committed to Jesus and his mission anymore because I'm having so much time with all this stuff that I've marginalized him. Kids, young people, that, that first boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that, if you begin to take Jesus off of the center, God's not wanting to bless that. 
You've got to keep Jesus. And so uh, Tommy Nelson years back did a good thing on just relationships. How do you not allow this person to become this this focal point? Um, It's just kind of you're both jogging. Like we're going towards that goal right up there. That's Jesus. I'm jogging towards him. Oh, oh, hey, is your name Jamie? Are you running towards him also? Let's... Let's keep going towards that instead of turning away from that goal and facing her, and now she's going to deliver everything that I've wanted. No, let, let's continue to pursue him, and I'll find out if you go off the, off the cliff and you're just lying to me, acting like you're doing that, look for someone that's jogging towards Jesus, that's focused on Christ, that's wanting to see their life live for his goals and his purposes. The same thing as adults. Or are you surrounding your life with people trying to point people towards Christ? And Let's get on a, a convoy together. And very easily, people take you off that convoy, and the next thing you know, they're actually leading. It doesn't look like it's you know, the first little turn, but the next thing you know, you're, you're very far away. Relationships. What is it for you? What are the things that, that take you away from this? Um, we have created a new version of God in our American Christianity and in, in the Bible Belt where we, we all know the truth. So we know Jesus died. We know our sins can be forgiven. We've created a new version of God made in our own liking and image where God's okay with me just putting a banner, a, a poster up that God's number one, and then 99.9% of my life has lived for everything over here. And especially two or three big things that I'm really passionate about. You think God doesn't see that you never spend time in prayer, which is just sitting before the Father because you value Him. Not a wish list. I never pray, but man, I've spent 40 hours this week researching how we can have more money for this. Retirement. uh, Financial goals. Whatever that is. Do you think He doesn't notice that? I'm not spending time in prayer. I don't care about his word, um, and I don't want to be convicted by it. So the less I know about his word, the less I can be convicted. But I'm going to go pursue these main two or three things. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts in that. And we've created a, a version of God in our own liking. And then we begin to worship that in place of God in the Bible. We've loved and enjoyed the feeling we get from doing that. So remember Stephen's point. They rejected God made an idol, they sacrificed to it, and they loved and enjoyed the feeling they got out of it. So then he goes on in verse 42 through 43. So I wanted to camp out there because this is the, the, the core. This is what he's wanting them to see. You have done this, you Jewish leaders. I've been tracking with you from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David to Solomon to the temple to Moses. And now we're back to the temple. Now he brings up back on these things. And, and you've missed Jesus and you've rejected God and you've went after idols. You're still doing it, and you're the religious leaders. And so look in verse 42 there. But God turned away and gave them over to worship. And that's Romans 1. That's thinking God's okay with me just stepping a little bit off. Thank you. You're getting off the Holy Spirit's. Thank you. Thank you. That's not it. Get back. There's the path. Nothing happened. Adam and Eve, teenage years. So the scariest thing about teenage years, isn't it? Like, you know, like, driving 110, you will die. And kids go, "Mm, I don't think so. Partaking of this substance or or this item, it will destroy your life. "Mm, I don't think so. I, I did it once or twice. Seems okay. The people around me, everyone's doing it. 
Romans 1 says, when you start going, shh, hey, Sankey, this is wrong. Stop doing that. Shut up. I got this. I'll I'll turn back before it gets really bad. I'll turn back before it gets out of control. Don't don't get me wrong. I know you're number one, God. I know Jesus died for my sins. But, I mean, do you really expect us to live a perfect life? And now we're... And now we're so far, and so Romans 1 says these three stages where no longer are you hearing the Holy Spirit. That tapping he does on your shoulder, this is a terrifying verse. The Bible Belt. Do you know how many people sit around me? There's nothing about God in their life. There's nothing about obedience. There's nothing about pursuing Him. There's nothing about a value, of going to the deeper ends of valuing and loving God, just an idea of God's presence. And sadly, a lot of churches have set up to make it, they've set up to make it so easy and so lack of commitment and so lack of um, uh, personal direction with God and, and a relationship with Him to where you're truly abiding with Him. They've made it to where just, just it, it's easy. We want to make it so easy for you. But God turned away and gave them over to worship. And Romans 1 says that at a point, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. I'm I'm offline. Nothing's happening. There's some point where the Holy Spirit's not tapping you anymore. I don't know what that is, when that is. The Bible's very clear about that. Romans 1 says he gave them over three different times. He gave them over. What's happening there is a hardening of the heart. There's a, your, your heart begins to harden. And so the lie that Satan wants, he doesn't, he, he's not like, ah, oh, I want him to take this little bad step and then their life to be just out of control. No, he goes, hey, hey, let, set back. Let them keep taking these steps. Let them reject God. Set up an idol. Sacrifice to it and love the feeling it gives. And still think that God's okay with that. We've set up a different version of God. We've created God to fit along with me being this far out of line, way over here, and still this idea that just blessed, hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed. And so crazy, scary things. It's written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices? This is God speaking. So now Stephen's bringing to these guys. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You didn't. I saw what you did. You took up the tent of Moloch, a false god, and the star of your god, Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness. In the middle of this, what was their big sign? Don't be mistaken. In the middle of thinking that you're serving God, you you had the temple. You still did all your stuff. All you spiritual leaders, religious leaders, were still going through the motions, just going through the motions. And we had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with with Joshua, when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for, the, for God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you make for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? 
you stiff-necked people. And here's the turn. Here's the transition. He's been building to all this. And hey, I know that you treasure this place. And you think you're holy because of this place in your position and your status. And you know the laws of God. You know God's word better than anyone. You stiff-necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your father did, it's you. So do you. All this building through this, and now he turns. He says, the stories I've been talking about, the, the Jewish leaders and all those who rejected Abraham and, and David and Solomon and Moses, the temple was right in the presence all that time. Those prophets, they killed all along. Now you're doing it. You just killed Jesus. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. Probably gone pretty ticked off. They know he's hinting about Jesus, who they were responsible for killing. So that, that should have been the thing. That's it. He's saying Jesus is the one. Notice that's not what gets them so excited, so sad that that's not even what gets them so irritated. Whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So the murder of Jesus is not the bigger deal that you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Man, you want to get a religious crowd fired up. You want to get them frustrated. When he goes to expose the heart there, um, you want to tick off the religious crowd. Tell them they're proud, holy, better than the rest interpretation and application lists are not actually godly and are not like Jesus. Tell the religious crowd, your interpretations, your views, your stances actually remove you from being more like Jesus. You want to fight? And what do they did? What do they do? At that point, see what he went to? It wasn't even, hey, I know you guys murdered Jesus. That wasn't enough. Like, yeah, he's a heretic. Fine. You guys had God's law, and you completely missed it. And then they say, pick up stones. Let's kill this guy. So look there in verses 54. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. By the way, side note, for all of hell, they're still going to be angry. And what was repeatedly Jesus talked about, them gnashing their teeth. Hell is going to be filled eternally, not stopping with anger and just frustration and gnashing their teeth. And, and Luke says, this is what these, this crowd was doing anger and gnashing their teeth and wanting murder. Man, scary things. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, behold, I see the heavens opened and, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So as they're enraged and, and, and now all ticked off at him, and now he makes it worse, God set him up for this. He, he had no idea. And right in the middle of this, as they're all standing up and everything, then he has the nerve to go, look, I see heaven open up. I see Jesus standing. And like, can you imagine? Like, stop talking about Jesus. We, you know, and they're all frustrated. And he's going, look, he's standing at the right hand. Well, they, they, you know, they, we've heard all repeatedly that at the, at the sitting at, at the right hand. And now you've got this picture of Jesus standing at the right hand. And remember, it's not a matter of like Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. It doesn't mean he's on this chair like we're sitting here. And he's like, man, it's been like 2,000 years since I was in the game. I'm just, wait, Father, is it now? Like, like our dog goes nuts when 
when we pull out the little blue, um, the little uh, choker thing or a choker or leash. Uh, it's not actually a choker. Don't get all offended. It's a, it's a little leash thing. When he goes nuts, like you're like, just calm down and we'll get it on you. Like Jesus isn't sitting there like, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? What it, what it means when he's seated by the Father, it means he's resting in the right hand, the power, symbolizing the power of the Father. He's resting in his finished work. Seated, confident, I know who are mine. I know what's going on. I'm in control. I'm resting in my finished work. And, but now he's standing. Engaged, I see what's going on, and I am acting on this. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, which we know becomes Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So notice they took him out of the city. That was Levitical law. They knew that they couldn't do that. So if they had have killed him inside the city, even a stoning, um, the Romans would have stepped in. So according to other Levitical law, if a person commits blasphemy, stoning was the correct way. There was supposed to be a trial. That was the correct execution form, stoning for blasphemy. But they, they took him out of the city. So again, notice this. The guy who confronted them with Jesus, and you're missing the whole point, your anger and all these things, and you think that you're so right, they, they're going by a rule to go commit murder in a wrong rule, in a wrong way. Like that, ever find yourself doing, keeping to a list, trying to do something that you feel like is the right pattern to do something that ends up being wrong and evil? Like that's nuts, right? That's outside the grace of God. And so, um, as we see that they're enraged, um, they're, they're, they're cut to the quick is the way. And that word is a picture that they're so angry, it's, it's like sawed in half. Like that's what it's cut to the quick meaning. They're so frustrated, they just, they just burst open um, all of this. And one of the few places there where um, someone gets to see into the throne room. So we know it was uh, John, Paul, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Now, Whatever year it was, that little six-year-old boy who and him and his dad made up the story about that he got to go to heaven and all that. And so, and there's lots of people that you know they've got to go into heaven. But we know scripturally, there's Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, John, and now Stephen gets to see into heaven. And John and Paul had not had that situation yet. Um, and so, some beautiful stuff that's brought out there. And so, I wanted to close by just looking at um, why does it happen this way? What what's the walk away at, at this point? Why would God allow Stephen to be martyred when the church is birthed and all and God is doing all this powerful stuff? Because it kind of goes to the idea in our lives of why do we go through any kind of suffering or persecution? Um, some of our suffering and difficulty is, is because of our own sin. We make dumb mistakes, we do bad choices, and there's just some consequences or even sometimes some discipline of the Lord. But then sometimes you're doing the right things and you're trying to pursue, pursue good things and then you, you get persecution. And you get suffering. And so this is a huge one. Um, so the thing that we have to step back and look at is this is about worship and the glory of God. There's something bigger than your own story. There's something greater than your own story. Um, 
In our story today, God allows Stephen to die after being a faithful witness. The result? Believers take the gospel and scatter into Judea and Samaria, being the witnesses in, just like Jesus said, into Judea and Samaria. That's the result of this horrible suffering. And so why couldn't he just protect Stephen? God used it to spread the gospel. The gospel went forward. God's name, God's salvation plan went forward because of a horrible situation. Um, David and Goliath. Think through the story of David and Goliath. We all, if we're not careful, we kind of put David up there and like, you should all be like David. That's the goal of the story is you should be like David. That's not the real, the main story. Yes, there are things about faith and us, us trusting God and being courageous. Those are great characteristics to have, right? But what happens after he cuts Goliath's head off and puts his foot on his chest? Remember what he says there. What, what's the result? So that the whole world will know about the glory of God in Israel. The reason this happened, I've got Goliath's head, his foot on his chest. So the whole world will hear this story and know about the great God of Israel. Not, everyone, be like me. Find a giant and go slay the giant. And in, in America, man, that sells. You can write books on that, right? You, you, but, but not about God's glory so much. Um, David said to uh, the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with a spear and the, with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. God allows David to live for the glory of God. And he spreads the glory of God by using that. God allows Stephen to get martyred and stoned for the glory of God and for the gospel and salvation to spread. Same thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're saved, kept alive in the fiery furnace. The result so what, what's the story there? The, the, any bad situation? We just pray that an angel shows up and gets us out of the situation? The story, the, the whole point of that one is Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree to the whole earth about the glory of God's saving power in Daniel 3. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Every people and nation and language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb to limb. Now remember, that's not God saying that. That was this, this guy who was what? Amazed by the power of this God. God allows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to live and Stephen to die. God allows people around your life to, to prosper and to go through good things and, and blessing, and it's for the glory of God. And you go through some persecution and suffering, and it's for the glory of God and his gospel to spread. Um, same thing with Daniel and the lion's den. All of those show us and reveal to us those things. And so in closing, um, those walkaways, um, the two things there, it's all about worship and glory. And then also, um, both of those are number one, by the way. And so uh, it's not wasted. He sees and he allows suffering and persecution and it all works for his glory and your greatest good. Stephen, sad story, Stephen's rejoicing the very next moment. Family members maybe, sad, Stephen's out of the picture now. 
But like the gospel goes forward. And we're sitting here today because of Stephen's stoning. We're in Tulsa, the furthest point from Jerusalem, because Stephen was stoned. God used it for his glory and our greatest good. And so when we go through those things, be careful not to reject God, marginalize God, set up these idols that we don't even recognize that we're doing, and then begin to sacrifice all of our time and passion and skill trying to attain this thing because of the pleasure and worship we get out of it. And that's what he was bringing to this crowd. This is what has happened repeatedly. Turn to Christ. He is the true salvation. He is the true satisfaction. I know these other things seem like they can even be good or even godly and religious, but if they miss Christ, they've missed it all. And so today, I would have you consider those things, the same thing that he's uh, admonishing them to consider. Um, Thankfully, hopefully, we're not to the point where it says God turns and allows their heart to harden. And so if you're in that place, um, that's the salvation that's offered to you today. So as Brad comes up, let me pray for us. We'll have a song of response. And this time, we want to be purposeful to truly, uh, every week, go and, and think through, consider, contemplate. Are there little things that are going on? Not just with this story, but that's, that's always the case. Rejecting God and turning to idols and then beginning to serve and sacrifice that in little bitty ways. And so um, ask the Lord to clarify to you, to show you things that could be pursuing, um, things that you could be um, sacrificing time and energy and passion to, good things that maybe have become too great and you're trying to get too much glory squeezed out of them. Father, we are thankful for um, your word. Thank you that even 2,000 years later, um, we could easily be just like the crowd with good intentions, with lots of knowledge about you, lots of knowledge about Jesus, um, lots of our um, moral lists and our, our external obedience and still missing Jesus. We're terrified of that in the Bible, Bill, God. And we're terrified of that of people who have an acquaintance with Jesus, an idea of God, but yet again, they've created a God who's okay with all their sin. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who truly treasures Christ, who loves one another well, flowing out of that. Um, we thank you that that we don't have to be like Stephen right now. I pray for uh, those places that where persecution is happening to where people's lives are being um, given up for your glory and the good of others. And um, we thank you for um, this time to gather together. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to think through and to do some work, not just to sing a song, um, but to contemplate deeply where our hearts are at with Christ. We thank you so much for uh, um, your word and your spirit. We trust in that. In your name we pray. Amen.